Welcome everyone to Watch Your Story. I'm your host Emmanuel Mutui, and today I have an amazing guest. We met probably two years ago, right before she moved to South Carolina, I believe, right? Mm. No, I didn't move away. I had just moved here. No, you were about to move away. Not me. Not you. Mm -mm. Uh, some. Well, I guess you moved here, and I was confused. <laughs> but <laughs> and she's one of those people. Since we met. I know a lot of different people in different spheres, but everywhere I go, she's always there. <laughs> <laughs> and so some ladies were asking me right before you came, like, so who is this lady? I was like, honestly, I'm not sure exactly what she does, but I just know she shows up everywhere. I... <laughs> so she's very well connected. She's a, I know she's very hardworking. She has a lot of goals and she's a mover and a shaker. And so when I was thinking about who to interview, it's like, Melanie. I don't know why it took me that long to realize that. And I already gave her her name. So without further ado, Melanie Jackson. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I've been really looking forward to this. Yeah. So. This is like the third time that we finally, yeah. we had, it's going to happen in December. We canceled it twice. Yeah. One of them, my camera guy couldn't be here. So I had to push it back. And then I think we're going to have it in the beginning of January. But here we are. Yes. Here we are. So we're just going to go straight to your story because I know you have a lot of stories. So we're not going to waste time mm -hmm. at the beginning. And as you can see, uh, she wrote a book, so we'll get to hear more about that eventually. But where are you from? I'm from the bottom of Illinois, kind of okay. close to St. Louis. Okay. A town of about 15,000 people. It's called Centralia, about an hour from St. Louis. That's where I grew up. Wow. And when you grew up there, what is that town known for? Railroad, a big railroad town, and mm. quite a few factories, like okay. Rockwell making car parts, fiberglass car parts, stuff mm. like that. So did that impact what you wanted to do? Because that seems like a very blue-collar kind of city. Mm, it was very blue-collar. Well, I guess it certainly shaped who I am. I went to school with quite a few farm families. There were a lot of farmers there, too. And then parents who were in part of the industry there. So I think probably more than anything, the values, the blue collar work ethic mm -hmm. is embedded deep into who I am. I have a, a strong drive to, to work and to work with excellence and to get things done quickly and efficiently. And I think a lot of that probably came from the blue collar background. Wow, that's amazing. And so you're growing up there. And maybe before I go farther, because I know you're a believer, Hint, hint. <laughs> well, how did that experience happen when you became a believer? Thanks for asking. I was raised in a church, a small church that was right close to my house. We actually walked to church when I was growing up. So I knew a lot of scripture. I knew how to diagram scripture pretty young because I was an English person and grammar. And so I had a lot of head knowledge. But like a lot of people I've come to meet, that didn't become a true heart decision until I was older. Okay. <clears throat> so I um, prayed a prayer and I got wet when I was, prayed a prayer when I was about eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sorry for my sins and asked Jesus into my heart. And then uh, got wet at church when I was about 12. But I found out that none of that was real. My life didn't change after that. So it wasn't until I was 26 years old that God really got my attention in a church. I was in church this whole time. Hmm. And so I... 
Wait, yeah. Was your family <clears throat> believers when they... That's, that's interesting, too. My dad was a deacon at the church, and my mom was a secretary, but I didn't really see faith lived out at home at all. It was a pretty dysfunctional family. Okay. And so the examples of people who said they were Christians but didn't act like Christians were pretty abundant in my life. Mm, okay, and so I ate. What is it? Before I even question, you say get wet. What does that, what does that no. mean? <clears throat> in, a, in a baptism. You know, it, oh. wasn't, it wasn't real. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm like, I'm thinking... You know, baptism in the Holy got Spirit. Wet. No, got wet. Oh, no. okay. So I ate. You give you. You said the prayer, mm-hmm. and you don't see that modeling. And did, did it? Did it impact what you wanted to do? Did it impact your faith? Or you like? I mean, were you I confused? Think, I think when I was a kid and I prayed that prayer, I felt like okay, sins forgiven, got my ticket to heaven. Okay. <clears throat> and. Uh, like I said, nothing really changed in my life. The mm. way I interacted with kids at school, the way I interacted with my parents, yeah. nothing nothing really changed at that point. So what's your view at this age of Christianity and God? Um, I think, you know, I felt like I probably had my ticket punched at that point, and there wasn't anybody in church or the next church I was at that was really challenging me about that okay you know it's just they just accept you know of course you're a christian you came from another church and yeah. you know you know scripture of course mm-hmm. you're a christian yeah and it wasn't it wasn't until i was a young adult i was mm. 26 and i was i was running sound actually for mm. the worship service and it was up in a, a loft at the back of the the building and you couldn't even stand up in it it was just a little loft you yeah. had to go in on your knees mm-hmm. And something that happened that day, really the Holy Spirit got my attention and I ended up just laying down prostrate and just said, God, I'm, I'm done. Hmm. <laughs> I'm ready for you to take control of my life. So and prior that was to the this, real change. Prior to this moment, toward, as it's leading up, were you disgruntled with your Christian life? Are you saying like there's more? Are there hints that you're not really walking out the hmm. best Christian? life when i got into this church i got to be friends with a couple of couples who were just a little bit older than me late 20s early 30s and both of them had two kids and hanging out with them spending time with them i watched how they made decisions and Mm -hmm. how jesus was a part of the way they were raising their kids and it's like wow Mm -hmm. i've never seen any of this before Mm -hmm. and i think i finally came to the point where I realized I didn't have what they had. Okay. And what they had was the Holy Spirit. Yes. So. Wow. And yeah. so this experience happens and your life is totally changed. It is. It really, mm-hmm. it changes my, my perspective, mm-hmm. my outlook about yeah. everything. And in just a couple of months later, I was in full-time ministry, actually. Okay. So before we get there, let's go back to when you're teen years and into early 20s. What do you want to do with your life in this period? Well, I, I didn't really know. In high school, I was dating a guy that I thought I was going to marry, and that ended bad and kind of sent me in a tailspin. Then I started dating another guy um, in college. And I was pretty good at English, pretty good at writing, so I thought I'd just, just get an English degree and, and an education degree to be able to teach. 
And that is what I got my bachelor's in, was, okay. was education and English. But by the time I finished my student teaching at a high school, I realized I didn't want to teach high school. <laughs> and I definitely didn't want to teach younger kids. Mm -hmm. So that, did, that education did turn into teaching adults. I've taught adults off and on throughout my whole adult life, like literacy classes and GED, even English as a second language, and I enjoy doing that. Okay. So 26 seems like that's when everything changed. Mm -hmm. So what made you go into full-time ministry after 20s, after 20s, um, after the experience, not after 26, yeah. after the yeah. experience? <clears throat> well, the other part of it is that I had just recently found what people call contemporary Christian music. I didn't know it existed. Okay. So turning the dial on the radio and found this song that just really spoke to me. It was like a folk song, a story song, and I'm like, wow, this, this is pretty cool. So I didn't ever turn the dial. And um, just, just a few months later, I was working at that station. I had done radio in college, and I really loved radio, and yeah. I love music. Mm -hmm. so. Wow. So when you did radio in college, was, was that... Well, did you do it because you like it, or was it more like it's a job? Like, how did you get into radio? No, because I wanted to learn about it. I just yeah. went to a station and said, hey, teach me, you know, okay. a rock station, just to learn how to do production and everything. And yeah. So I did it for free for a while, and then they gave me an air shift for a while. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cause I was about to jump way too forward because our last conversation was about to go on radio. But yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, what, when, what was the... What led you to go into full-time ministry? Well, how did that happen? I worked at the radio station, the Christian radio station, part-time for almost a year. I was also working at the community college teaching adults okay. English and writing. And then a full-time position opened up, and that's when I moved into the full-time role at, mm -hmm. the, at the Christian station. It was the next town over. This is in the middle of Illinois, mm -hmm. and it was about an hour away, so I ended up moving to that town since I took the full-time job. Wow, that's fun. Yeah. What did you learn? Because how long did you do it, that radio work there? Uh, Christian radio, almost eight years. What did you learn in about radio production? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I mean, I produced a national show during that time. Yeah. I, I worked all of the different air shifts, mm -hmm. um, ran, ran the website, ran the prayer team, hmm. uh, led volunteers, a lot of different things. What was your top three moments in that eight span? Eight oh, span? wow. I think... Um, did a really fun Christmas uh, lunch show, I think. Um, I think working with the prayer team, we, we really built an email prayer team that had a lot of interactive prayers for one another, so that was very fulfilling. Hmm. And um, I don't know one concert moment in particular, but working, working in radio, I got to meet a lot of the contemporary artists and just knowing that they're that they're real people and they're in it for the right reasons. I think that's that's really cool. Wow. So you do that for eight years. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's Illinois mm -hmm. in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So what, what happened next after eight years there? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know what was going to happen. And it turned into a year later trying to sell a house that turned into seminary. And I went to Kansas City. I got my Master of Divinity in 2008. Wow. Yeah. What what brought that on? Like why? Well, I wasn't wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I thought I was going to work at that station like forever, like retire from there. Wow. 
So, yeah. and it wasn't my choice to leave. They ended yeah. up outsourcing my job. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> there were a couple different people from my church. Um, actually, three people, three different people over a two-week period. And that happens a lot of times. God will use people yeah. to speak into your life and, and affirm it and confirm it from other directions. Three different people who said, well, have you, have you thought about seminary? And I'm like, well, I love school. I love both sides of the desk, you know, mm -hmm. and to learn, to learn more about God. I had been a worship leader at my church for a couple of years and started checking the seminaries around. And this one that I ended up going to had a brand new degree that was the 92-hour Master of Divinity, but it had an emphasis, like a minor, in worship leadership. It was a brand new degree, and Ooh. I would be the first class to graduate with that degree, so that's what I did. Wow. How long was the uh, seminary? How long were you there? Um, it was three years. It's, like I said, 92 hours, so oh, you know, 30 hours a year of oh. master's level work. Okay. Yeah. What kind yeah. of cool stuff did you do? What kind of cool stuff did you cool do? Stuff? Um, one big thing at seminary was I got to help with the evangelism teams. Okay. We had street evangelism teams that would go to downtown Kansas City, mm -hmm. share share our faith with folks in the in the financial district, so yeah. folks with some money and some suits, and then also the prostitutes and the folks on the street. Wow. So yeah, right in the same area. Not in day. Yeah, yeah. So, so every week I'd lead a team down there, and then I also helped helped with like the administration for all of the teams. Mm -hmm. I helped lead all of them. So that was like very, very cool. Just a leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a pretty good organizer. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. take you long to be the leader of a group. <laughs> I bet you the next phase you ended up leading something <laughs> without even knowing what it is. <laughs> so you were there for three years yeah. in Kansas. What was the yeah. next step? Yeah, I, I spent a year and a half after seminary uh, doing worship and evangelism for a church in Missouri, in okay. rural Missouri. And then during that summer before I moved back to Illinois, the Lord really uh, worked in my life a couple of different times, pointing me in the direction of some kind of compassion ministry, mm -hmm. helping folks in need. And I didn't really know what that was going to look like. But I was out of money, didn't have a job, didn't have a place to live. So I moved back to Illinois and moved in with some friends to try and figure out what that was supposed to look like. Okay. How long was that period? Um, when I moved back to Illinois, it was 2009, October 2009. And I started volunteering with a poverty ministry. They did groceries and clothing for the working poor, basically. It's called Salt and Light. And I volunteered with them for a couple weeks, and then they put me on payroll. They were okay. looking for an admin. So I did that, did mm -hmm. that for a year, helped them grow some things and do some things. Of course you did. I feel like that's a trend <laughs> like at this point. <laughs> you need something to grow? Call Melanie. <laughs> oh, thank you. So you do that for a year, mm -hmm. and obviously the Lord starts to work on you to move. What was the next destination? Oh, it was still Illinois. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't move. Yeah, that was. That's what turned into this. This okay. was see you at home, a ministry for our friends without an address. So, what happened was, in the winter of 2010, it was a day that was a lot worse than today. <laughs> it was kind of like blizzard conditions, like blowing sideways snow. In Missouri. Illinois. Oh, mm -hmm. Illinois, which yeah. is worse than this. Yeah, it, it, it was it was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I went out with a street outreach mm -hmm. that takes food and clothes to people right out on the street, like the parks where they stay and stuff like that. Yeah. And these three guys came up to the truck. We were parked parked in a parking lot, and they came across the street. And some of the folks in the in the truck already knew them because mm -hmm. they've been doing this, yeah. you know, and they knew their names and hey guys, you know, talking to them and everything. And I noticed that one of the guys, his fingertips were starting to get dark. Mm -hmm. Frostbite? Frostbite, yeah, yeah. And this was on the campus of the University of Illinois, and wow. it was just a disconnect for me. You know, how, how can somebody in this town with this much money, this mm -hmm. much education, how can somebody be getting frostbite? It mm -hmm. just didn't make sense. Yeah. So we kept talking to them, got them some coffee, some blankets. They said they were going to be sleeping in a parking garage across the street, so they'd mm -hmm. be out of the wind, but down below in a concrete parking garage. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> one of the volunteers said, well, could we pray for you before you go? And so we all got out of, uh, out of the truck, and we made a big circle, and we held hands. The volunteer prayed for them that that God would protect them mm -hmm. through the night, keep them, keep them safe in the cold. And one of the guys started praying for us. <laughs> the guys from the street, he prayed, um, thank you God for bringing people who care about us and keep them warm and keep them safe. That was, that was a game changer for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had to I had to find out well, why are these guys sleeping in a parking garage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I spent the next few months researching that in, in Champaign-Urbana, a college town in the middle of Illinois. What resources are there? Why aren't they at the shelter? How many beds does the shelter have? Is it full? You know, finding out all those things. And what it, the way it developed is I knew I was going to need some money to start something to fill the gap. Where, where the shelter didn't fit. And so I sold my SUV and I sold my motorcycle and sold some of my seminary books so I'd have a little bit of money to start something. And I was staying with a friend and that friend had family coming back to live with them. There was still could have been a room for me but her family had a lot of, of issues to deal with. So I knew I needed to find a new place to live. So. Here I am again, without a job, and without a place to live, and trying to figure things out. Two different friends said to me, have you, have you talked to Irvin over at Restoration Urban Ministries? And I thought, oh man, that's one of the ministries I was going to connect with when I came back. An old two-story hotel that houses folks who don't have a place to live. So I talked to Irvin, told him what God was doing in my heart, what I wanted to start, and I said, could I live here for a while? for a couple of reasons, to save money and to learn from people who've been on the streets. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we can let you have a room. So that summer, um, summer of 2011, I moved into Restoration Urban Ministries. And I lived there the first year and a half starting this new ministry. Wow. How was it? Did you finally get it started? And how long did you run it? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was slow going in the beginning. We did a big survey to find out more information about the folks on the street in that area and identified those who are the most vulnerable, those who are closest to dying. It was a lot of medical questions and stuff. 
And I knew <clears throat> that's who I wanted to help. It was those three guys in the garage, and they were not in good shape at all. So what happened was right at the end of that year, just before Christmas, I'd been putting word out. We'd done the survey and got a lot of media coverage about it. And somebody got in touch with me in November and said, hey, we've got this little one-bedroom house across the street from ours, and it's empty. And we can't afford to pay the power bill on it through the winter. So if you pay the power bill through the winter, let's get one of these guys off the street. And this couple, this couple didn't even really ever hardly much eat meat. They went to food pantries themselves. And they let us use this house to get the first guy off the street. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we we kept trying to help guys off the street into houses, and then um, after a couple years and a couple of funerals, to be honest, <clears throat> um, I wasn't sure what God wanted to do. It was kind of more like a hospice ministry hmm. because they were folks who were who were close to death and um, ended up doing some more things for folks on the street. We were doing street outreach and we were doing transportation, taking folks to detox, um, like 90 miles, like there wasn't one in that town, you know, like driving them to, to detox. We were already doing all of that. And then we, um, God led us to start a daytime center, a daytime drop-in center where folks could come in from the street, but there'd also be folks just like you, folks from the community come in. We had musical instruments and art supplies and, um, you know, there was a social worker there to give them that kind of help if they wanted it. But um, the daytime drop-in center really, really changed everything for CU at home because part, part of, I think, God's mission on my heart was to help folks like us break our stereotypes of the guy sleeping under the bridge. And when you come in and play a game of chess, you know, an educated game, a gentleman's game, with with somebody who slept under a tree last night and you get your butt kicked, <laughs> or the PhD who can teach you another language who's on the street. Yeah, kind of starts to change, change how each, each group feels about the other. And we call them all friends is what we decided, and that's where friends without an address came from. Mm. And And one of the things I'm pretty grateful for is that Every media outlet to this day, TV, radio, newspaper, every single media outlet does not use the word homeless to describe a person. That's awesome. They use friends without an address. So we broke that stereotype. Hmm. Yeah. That's, wow. <laughs> wow. That's, I like that. Hmm. Thanks. So how when when did you leave like how long did you leave after establishing this ministry mm -hmm. so it it's the idea started in 2010 mm -hmm. it had a name in the spring of 2011 and i left um september 11th of 2017. um i'm more of a, a starter than i am a sustainer yeah. so a couple years into the thing i was looking for somebody to take it over and tried one person that didn't work tried another person that didn't work that's why it took seven years hmm. um, we finally found the guy to take it over and I spent a year mentoring him mm -hmm. and God God very clearly released me to come here he had called me here in 2005 to Colorado Springs and it took 12 years Wow for him to say okay so he just he was just prepping you that whole time mm. Wow so you come here in 2017 
you've done amazing work in Champagne. Mm -hmm. So when you came here, were you like, you have no idea what God wants? Or were you like, I think maybe he's living this way? Blank slate, no idea, wow. other than being here. Yeah. And I moved here with a moving truck with, I'd got another motorcycle with a motorcycle in the back. God gave me the second motorcycle, actually. That's oh. a crazy cool story. You can yeah. read in the book. There you um, go, get the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I came with a moving truck. I'd sold my car and the motorcycle in the back and some of my stuff in the back and didn't have a place to live. I had one week reserved at a week, week at a time hotel mm -hmm. and, and didn't know. I was just counting on God to open the doors. I'm guessing he did. He did. He did. He did. Five days later, I had a place to live for free. Wow. And lived there a couple months, and then I got another place to live for free for a year. So it's been now, this is 2022, so that's five years. Mm -hmm. What have you been up to? A lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Initially, when, when I came here the summer before I came to Colorado, God said, don't work, don't look for work. And I'm a pretty big researcher and figuring things out and planning and stuff. So I had, I had a few thousand dollars. I didn't take any money from See You at Home in the beginning, but they eventually started paying me a salary, and I was still living in free housing. So I was able to save some money. So I had a little bit of money, you know, to pay for living expenses when I came here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't didn't work, and I didn't look for work for for a year. I thought it was going to be a month or two, but it was it was a year and uh, got the book out that next summer. That's when I released it, 2018, and came back from my little book tour of the Midwest and um, needed to find a new place to live and got into an apartment, started paying rent again. It was the first time in a lot of years I'd paid money to live, but paying rent and uh, uh, first job was doing the angel tree for the Salvation Army mm. over that Christmas. Yeah. Then I delivered pizza for a while and then I got an, uh, a few hours of admin work to do for somebody, and that turned into a few more hours. And really most of what I've been doing has at, been admin work for Christian businesses and ministries. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, I actually incorporated. I called it Jackson Professional Services, and that's what I'm doing today. And I'm still, still waiting on God to open the next ministry door for me other than this, you know, mm -hmm. next vocational ministry yeah. door. Uh, had a lot of doors closed. I've applied for a lot of jobs here and nothing's happened. So it hmm. hasn't been right yet. Yeah. Wow. That's like, you've lived a lot of lives. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of true. In like, well, so how, I don't know how, how, how long that is. That's like, you that's that's just so cool because it seems like you have like a, an ap apostolic anointing because mm. you go start and then when it's established god moves you mm. yeah. psyche part about that life you never stay long enough to see the fruits yeah. you start and then you gotta go start over yeah. again so yeah. in that vein of just going somewhere new starting something what is the one thing that when you look back you're like I wish I knew this, or mm. just... Mm. With See You at Home, you know, I'm, I'm not a social worker. I'd never done anything like that. Mm -hmm. So helping folks, you know, with mental illness and with substance abuse and everything, I was just way out of my league. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, a heart that wanted to help. And I had, I had a good ability to, like, plan an event to get people involved and to raise money and to share a vision and to advocate 
for the folks, but like the actual helping of the folks, I needed help with that. Mm -hmm. And um, learned a lot the first couple years with folks off the street just into a house. One example, the first guy that we housed in that little one bedroom house, mm -hmm. um, his place that he slept outside was under a tractor trailer um, that was just parked, an old one that wasn't used anymore. That was the place that he slept outside. And once he had a key to the house, he loved to cook. So he would use that kitchen. Mm -hmm. He never once slept in the bed, never once. Slept on the floor most of the time. I think he might have slept on the couch a couple times. But it's just ingrained in who he is, you know, that he didn't even want the bed when he had it. And who would have thought that? You yeah. don't know that until you see it. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And yeah. I guess partnering with people is key. Yeah, for sure. Realizing I'm not good at this. Could you come along and help me? Yeah. Because that's what I've seen you do in this city. You're very connected. Mm. Like, it seems like God is just establishing the relationships before he gives you whatever, mm. whatever that big thing is. Yeah, thank you. Thank and you. So right now, what are you looking forward to? To, like in the next this year, I guess it just started. So, it's mm. a 2022 vision. Um, I've got a woman staying at my place right now that's that didn't have a place to live. So I I'm really hoping that she gets some stability, mm -hmm. saves some money, and gets a place of her own. That would be one thing I hope happens this year. And I'm just hoping that this is the year that that God finally opens the door for me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. So, thank you. I'm gonna hit you with quick five questions okay. as we wrap up. They're gonna be random. There's no rhyme or reason why okay. I ask you this. Got it. But I think it'll be fun. What's your favorite ice cream? Oh, caramel cashew from Culver's. So it's frozen custard. Okay. Wow. Okay. Favorite season? Boy, I love snow. I'm gonna say winter. I'm a snow lover. Yeah, sorry. Opposite. Yep. We were building snow. a rapport here. We don't get nearly enough snow here to suit me, actually. There's almost no snow in Colorado Springs anymore. There's almost none. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, You've got to drive to the mountains to get it. Nobody's complaining. <laughs> Just you. <laughs> so, favorite, and this question I'm asking because when we met, we went to a not conference, an event at The Rock in Castle Rock. What's your f most impactful conference, event, church service that you've been to since 26? Because that's kind of when the Lord really shook you. Mm. Wow. Mm. I, think, I think a worship service in Kansas City is when um, they were, there were about 3,000 worship leaders at this conference in mm -hmm. Kansas City, a big church. And there was a speaker, David Nasser is his name. Okay. He, he speaks at a lot of events. Uh huh. Okay. Speaks at a lot of events. And he was talking about orphans, the number of orphans in the world, and the number of orphans in our country, and the num number of people who claim to be Christian in our country. And he, he just basically said, okay, if everybody in America took one orphan into their home, there would be no more in the world. <laughs> and, and it just got me, and I just started weeping. I just started weeping. I had to leave the auditorium. And the thing that's really weird about that is kids are just not my thing. I don't, 
Kids just make me nervous. <laughs> Screaming, yelling, <laughs> peeing, you know, pooping kids. It's just not my thing. So God wrote my heart about orphans, and that was part of that turn to compassion ministry, to poverty ministry. Another thing happened at Sturgis at the big motorcycle um, conference. Um, same thing. It was just waterworks, and it was being on a reservation, Native American reservation, seeing poverty and just smelling stench and... I knew, I knew God was preparing me for something. I just didn't know what. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Uh, another one. That's three. Of, I'm going to go to five. Another one. So with all the ministry that you've started, what's the one key that somebody, when they're starting a ministry, that you will tell them? It doesn't matter what their ministry is in, mm -hmm. but what's the advice you'll give them? Be humble. Okay. Mm -hmm. Be ready to learn. Learn yeah. from other people who've already done what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And be ready to <laughs> pivot. <laughs> the word for 2020, right? Be ready, be ready to pivot. Be ready to switch what mm -hmm. you thought your idea was mm -hmm. for where you see God working and who he brings you. Because he'll bring you people with different experiences mm -hmm. and, and expertise to do things that maybe you had no idea that you could do as a part of that ministry. Mm -hmm. So be humble and, and be open. Okay. Now this is a deep one. Okay. Ready? So, after all this life that you've lived, and you have a lot more left. <laughs> that's nice. I hope. We'll you have see. a lot more left. How, who is Melanie Jackson? Mm, a daughter of the king. That's, I'm trying hard to keep that as my identity. Um, back to the blue collar work ethic thing. I've worked a lot my whole life and kind of uh, too much workaholism, you can call it. So trying to keep my identity in Christ rather than in what I do, that's the struggle is real and that's where I'm trying mm. to keep my eyes. That's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> wow, but thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. Thanks for coming. I mean, I don't know why it took me forever to think of you, <laughs> but I'm glad I got to ask you because I liked your story. Because okay. you've, you've done this before. Mm. I could tell how mm. <laughs> exquisite and articulate you are. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of media, a lot of radio, a lot of TV. Yes, I should have asked you to do this when I started because that's when I needed help. <laughs> I was lost. <laughs> but thank you for coming. And go get the book. And just be, is there any way that can follow you, keep up with anything that you're doing? Yeah, actually, if you go, if you go to the website for the mm -hmm. book, it's morethanenoughthebook.com. Send me a message there. I have a mm -hmm. monthly newsletter that I just send about what God's doing in my life. Mm -hmm. And if you send me a note through the book website there, I'll mm -hmm. get you added to my monthly email list. Colorado okay. Chronicles is the name of it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and I'll put that info in the description, so just go check that out. And Viewers, thank you again for joining and for listening to Melanie's story. I pray that it touched you and that you are motivated to do something that God has put on your heart. And before I let you go, I want you to remember, we all have a story. What's your story? Goodbye.